Welcome, this is CopperCasts, a show dedicated to exploring the wonderful, if somewhat technical, world of institutional investment and crypto assets. I am your host, Tyler Kenyon, and our guest today is Joe Cox, the COO of Xmonetai Capital, a quantitative investment management firm specializing in digital asset trading since 2018. Welcome, Joe. Tyler, thanks for having me. Thanks for having XM. We really appreciate it. Is XM the common uh, short form? That's correct. You called me out on that appropriately. <laughs> XM is short for X Monetai Capital. Okay. And uh, yes, yes, we, we shorten it to XM. Okay, cool. So no, t- no ties in digital assets, Tyler. <laughs> That's right. Well, we haven't done any today. It is a Sunday, though. So um, tell us a bit more about yourself and, and your background, because you haven't always been digital assets. Obviously, most of us haven't. But you have quite a, an interesting background as well. You've done some really cool stuff. Oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks for that. So uh, I do have a more of a traditional background. Um, so I would say I really began cutting my teeth in the business world as uh, managing the board of directors at the Metropolitan Opera, um, really managing uh, the key committees there. Uh, the finances, um, and the board governance. So that kind of allowed me a lens into the institutional management um, of, you know, all sorts of organizational responsibilities. Um, From there, I was able to transition to a third-generation family office where I served as an entrepreneur in residence of sorts, um, helping to start a myriad of businesses uh, uh, across the spectrum from, from mining operations to low-income affordable housing in Panama and Nigeria. Um, frontier markets has always been something that excited me, and so digital assets, you know, caught my attention next. And was uh, I, I want to go back to the, uh, <laughs> the Metropolitan Opera. Was that uh, a job, or were you, are you an opera fan? Interestingly enough, Tyler, that was, a, that was a question the general counsel asked me on my interview uh, what the hell do you know about opera, to which my reply was absolutely nothing. What I'm very good at is asking the right questions and getting the right answers. And that was good enough for her. Yeah, good enough for all of us. Um, and then you were involved in something called Coastal Innovation? That's correct. Um, after after breaking out of uh, uh, entrepreneur and resident status from, from the family office that I mentioned earlier, uh, I went out on my own and, and, and formed an erosion and uh, flood control company uh, based here in the United States called Coastal Innovations. Uh, and first VC-backed erosion and flood control protection company in the U.S. And still out there uh, doing some big things in the infrastructure world. But now it's time to transition and do those same big things in the digital asset world. Great. And the and you're... Crypto origin. I'm, I always want to know what someone's like crypto origin story is. So did you hear about it when you're working at a family office because they're pretty early adopters in this space or was it more personal? No, it was more personal and it really had to do with meeting the ex-Monetai founder and CEO, Julian Marchese. Um, so I was able, I was fortunate enough to meet Julian um, three, four years ago as we were stumbling around WeWork doing our respective weird jobs at weird times um, and we hit it off quite naturally. I uh, found a gentleman who's one of the brightest people that I've had the pleasure of working with, uh, one of the hardest workers that I've had the pleasure with working with, and uh, his excitement, his intelligence, he, he sold it to me. I'm naturally at heart a frontier markets guy. Um, where there's smoke, there's fire, and when you have someone like Julian um, emphasizing the historic nature of where we're at, you listen. So tell me more about Ex Monetai. Um, I know you have a, a philosophy called man and machine. 
what is that? Because I can I can make something up, but it's probably wildly inaccurate. No, it's a it's a it's a wonderful it's a wonderful question. And in fact, it's branded on the back of our baseball caps, and it's because it really is a core philosophy at X Monetai. And, and so, what it is, it's it's a, it's really two things. It's about combining the strengths of the machine with the strengths of human analysis, um, and it's about redundancy. Uh, so to address the first point about complementary strengths, man and machine allows XM to leverage the automatic, automated power uh, of computer processing speed uh, to collect, synthesize, and execute upon vast amounts of data um, while overlaying that with appropriate human analysis of the market, uh, understanding of macro context, um, and if you will, combining the science of the numbers with the music of the market. Um, you know, about that point of redundancy, the man in the machine allows us in a 365, 24-7 environment um, to constantly be covering the type of risk management that we need to be doing. So not only does the machine always need to be measuring those key parameters, but we always have to have somebody sitting on the desk and watching that as well. And the machine, um, is it... Like, are we talking about AI and like machine learning, or um, is it more akin to you know high freak trading in the traditional space? What, what elements of machine? It's more, more akin to high frequency trading in the traditional space. So, for the type of strategies that we're running and the individual algorithms that are running for those strategies, um, we have a very firm understanding of key parameters um, for those strategies uh, and for those individual algos. And a lot of times for us. Um, it revolves around, um, you know, liquidity management and, um, you know, uh, counterparty management, exposure management to the exchanges that you're trading on. So we're constantly uh, measuring that, ensuring that we're within the limits that make us comfortable. Um, and then where the man aspect of that would come in is if there is context that is occurring in the marketplace that might not be reflecting itself in the numbers we're able to go back in and adjust that based on our feel of the market. And do you get a sense of how similar or different this is to traditional finance? I would say this is extraordinarily similar to traditional finance in the early stages and the nascency of the birth of an asset class. So what you'll find any time historically with the birth of an asset class is there is um, an incredible amount of inefficiency early on. There's an incredible amount of consolidation that needs to occur early on. Um, and there's quite a bit of uh, black swan risk that can exist in that marketplace. And that's one of the biggest risks we look at, right? Which is in this early days, in this early space, what are things that can happen that have never happened before? that can throw your models completely out of whack, that can throw your risk management completely out of whack. And so for us, that's something we always have to be on day in and day out. And that's why the risk management has to be on that man and machine level, because at any point in time, um, something crazy can happen in this market. And I can't tell you the next thing that will, but something else crazy will happen. And I guess on top of all of, of those challenges, I mean, just being at the, the beginning of, of an asset class, founding a company or, or being at an early stage company, you know, what kind of challenges and hurdles did X Monetai face 
in just setting up and being where you are now? I mean, it, I could do an entire podcast on the challenges of not just being an entrepreneur, but being an entrepreneur in the hedge fund space, which is traditionally one of the most competitive uh, fields that, that, that one can engage in. Um, but if I was going to pick some challenges is out of the hat that have been particularly daunting, um, the first I would say is focus, um, which is opportunity abounds in this space. And so how do you stay focused on your real bread and butter, the things you definitively do better than other people without looking to boil the ocean at once? Mm -hmm. Now, of course, like any organization, uh, as your bandwidth expands, you're going to grow. Um, But it's about managing that in a responsible fashion. Um, So I would say that's a big challenge we face, Tyler, right? Which is people wanting things out of us, wanting to push us in different directions. And how do we stay true to our narrative, our brand, um, our bandwidth, uh, while remaining flexible to those market opportunities? I guess um, before we sat down, we were even talking about, you know, the talent pool out there right now and the challenge of finding the right people, being able to afford the right people, you know, the flexibility of, uh, you know, how people's work style has changed. I mean, how has that affected you guys? The first way that that's affected us, Tyler, is maybe in a bit of a funnier anecdote is you're right. The, 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 the work culture has changed a little bit, um, especially uh, the digital asset space. There's a, there's a large work from home component. And I think early in early days, uh, both Julian and myself had an idea that there would be a bustling office of people, uh, people coming in and out for 15 hours a day. And, 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 and that's a little bit different. So what that challenges us to do is to evolve our management styles um, to be able to fuel the talent, to be able to do what they need to do, right? At the end of the day, it's not our job to be micromanagers, to tell you exactly how it needs to be done. It's our job to create an environment of communication, of good information sharing, um, and of people wanting to naturally be successful in this company. So if that means that they need to work from home, that's okay with us. Um, and are, are you guys like us? I mean, we're, um, you know, startup scale up or whatever, very talented, young company, young people, love a bit of swag. Maybe we wear hoodies and stuff like that. We rocked up in Mayfair in London and turned a few heads. And I know you guys are in a swanky part of town as well. Does that does that happen to you guys? Well, we, we, we try to b- balance it a bit, Tyler. Okay. So one of the things we like to say at Ex Monetai uh, is we're a bridge. We're a bridge between the man and machine. We're a bridge between digital assets and the institutionalization of digital assets. And so, you know, even with our wardrobe, we'll reflect that bridge, which is maybe a little more casual um, than, than, than certain traditional uh, investment managers, but we're not afraid to throw on a suit jacket or slacks if we need to. Just, again, as we mentioned before, Tyler, generally try to avoid ties unless it's, you know, wedding, funeral, board meeting, or a Scandinavian Christmas. That's right. Okay. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, who your investors are at Ex Monetai. Because in your show and tell piece, you talked about, you know, whether you're too early or too late for the market. Sure. And obviously, you know, we all agree we're very much, you know, on the early side of things still at the moment. Um, but the people who come to Ex Monetai and invest in the fund, you know, does it require more education, more coaxing and like more understanding on their side that they are early or do they get that from the beginning? So I, I think there's there's two ways of looking at that. Um, the majority of our investors are institutional grade uh, investors. Um, and 
they bring a certain level of sophistication to the table uh, that for us as investment managers, we, we tremendously appreciate. Um, so what our investors are looking from from us are, are, are what they get from us, right? Which is, which is steady returns, which is limited drawdowns, and which is uh, expected returns within expected volatility sets. Um, so, so I, I think it's that I think it's that poise, um, it's that time in the market, and it's that consistency as to why we draw attention from institutional investors. Uh, what I could say is each product that X Monetai will 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 turn off of its conveyor belt will have different mandates, will have a flavor of its own. Um, but then it's our responsibility, Tyler, to at the end of the day make sure that that infuses back into our brand, um, into the things that we know we definitively do very well, um, and, and, and into the overall picture and the narrative of, of, of how we present ourselves to the world. Speaking of the world, it's a big place. Blockchain, famously borderless, but it operates in individual countries with indig- individual investors and obviously with individual regulators, stuff like that. I mean, what's the... You know the ex monetai look at the regulatory landscape right now. Sure, there and I mean it's a tremendous question. It's one of the largest risks for any investors in this space is understanding that there is a lot of consolidation to come as it relates to regulatory uh, authority and um, regime changes uh, within that regulatory landscape. Um, but just because it's an evolving process doesn't mean it's ex- not extraordinarily important. And, you know, at Ex Monetai, we've taken the view that it is extraordinarily important, which is why we are registered with the NFA, which is why we are registered with the SEC, um, because regulation is coming and it's a good thing. It's how you protect investors. Um, it's how you ensure that managers are operating within the bounds that they should operate. And so at XM, we're proud to be leaders in that space. And sure, there's development that needs to happen, but we're happy to participate in that development because we're learning too. And I guess it's also one of those necessary things to unlock even more capital to come into the space. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, you know, when you look at institutional investing in this space, you almost can't be a major institution and not be invested in digital assets right now. But there's probably a threshold of comfortability to which you'll go without having um, full clarity of that regulatory landscape. So one thing that I might expect is as that continues to roll out, um, the institutional threshold of investment will continue to rise. So one of the things I want to ask you about is, is NFTs. Sure. And I don't know if that fits uh, naturally into what, what you guys are doing. Not at all, but I'm happy to regulatory space, but, you know, it's such a topic of, you know, uh, content right now. I mean, 2021 was all about NFTs. Yep. 2022, maybe, maybe it won't be, but there's still, you know, huge drawing, huge amount of attention, huge amount of capital. What do you, what, do you guys look at NFTs and think so maybe? This would be the first part where I'd say is, you know, this is one of those examples of we have to know what we're good at and know what we're experts at. I speak with no authority to 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 say anything necessarily positive or negative about the NFT space. I find it interesting as a I guess an outsider insider looking in. Um, I find the excitement 
um, and the energy to be uh, to be uh, invigorating. But whether or not the present use case is the appropriate use case for them, I'll I'll leave for smarter people than myself to make that decision. I guess it's predominantly probably more retail driven right now. It anyway. is more retail driven, and 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 to be honest, a part of the aspect of the retail mania in that space. One of the questions I was looking at that we chatted about earlier was, um, what concerns you about the space? Mm-hmm. And I'd say that the biggest thing that concerns me about the space is um, a get-rich-quick mentality. And to a degree, the mania surrounding NFTs has perhaps fueled um, some retail investors' thinking in that regard. Um, and, 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 and that can be potentially painful for a number of people who are out there. It does bring a lot of attention to the, the crypto space in general. And I mean, if you're old school PR, you'd say there's no such thing as, as bad press, but there's still got to be a big risk with NFTs. Certainly. And I mean, look, I'm, I'm in my mid thirties, which means I'm a dinosaur in the digital (laughs) asset space. And so when I go out for drinks, um, with NFT enthusiasts in their young 20s, their perspective is entirely different than mine. And that's not to say that my perspective is right and their perspective is wrong. It's a different perspective. Um, you know, I, do I care about being able to tell somebody that I have some sort of digital drip? No, but that's not to say that it doesn't matter and that it won't matter. So what is the next big thing for X Monetai? What's what's cooking over there that you can tell us about? Yeah, the two biggest things that we're very much excited about at X Monetai right now are uh, are the impending release of our tactical beta product. So at present, we've been running uh, a market neutral yield arbitrage alpha product. Um, it's been very successful for us. Uh, it has allowed us to build that brand and to build that uh, concrete foundation that we've talked about, but what makes a lot of sense for us now is to put out our bookend product, which is um, a beta product. And basically, why I'm so excited about it is many of the signal alphas that we've been able to produce within our market neutral program can be useful in a tactical beta standpoint. And so we firmly believe that we can put out uh, a great product with great security uh, that exposes investors to the upside of the market uh, at, a, at a very fair price um, while infusing some of those natural alphas that we produce as alpha generators at Xmonetai. Um, the other thing that we're really excited about uh, is infusing a little bit more um, of, uh, of DeFi arbitrage and yield strategies into our mix. Um, it's, it's something that we've been doing a bit of work on for the past eight months to to a year, and I'll give a shout out to Francesco Mostert, who's really been leading that initiative there. Um, and 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 basically, with with Francesco doing a deep dive, understanding the strategies, understanding the risks, uh, we view it as the right time for X Monetai to call that long option and 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 become more involved in the DeFi trading space. Of course, with the same man and machine and, and and heavy risk emphasis that we bring to everything that we do. And what kind of like, like DD do you encourage people to do when you're, I mean, when you're evaluating like DeFi or, or any sort of product in this space, like what are the questions that you get asked by investors and what questions would you recommend anyone ask? Yeah, look, probably the biggest 
the, probably the biggest risk in DeFi is um, hacking of individual protocols at the moment. Um, and it's difficult to develop a quantitative model around that. It's more of a qualitative process. And so uh, Francesco has uh, put a lot of work into thinking about how you diligence those individual protocols, um, has come up with our... Uh, our bespoke way of doing that, um, which is very thorough and very in-depth. And, you know, we, we don't onboard with any counterparties without doing that type of deep uh, due diligence there. And, 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 and it's really a process uh, that Francesco leads with, with, with fulsome specificity um, and, 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 and requires a lot of feedback from those individual protocols. And by the way, what's really important to remember there, especially with, re with respect to uh, counterparties, protocols, is who's good today isn't necessarily who's going to be good tomorrow. So if you're going to effectively risk manage those, you need to constantly be taking the temperature in the marketplace. And a really great example of that would be, and this is something we talk about with Francesco all the time, right? He's dealing with protocols. If, Protocols typically respond to him in 30 seconds. When they start taking a minute to respond to him, that's a signal. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's a good signal. Okay, Joe, this has been really fascinating. Thank you for the insights into X Monetai. I have a bunch of questions I ask everyone. Please. You don't mind running through them with me? Not at all. So where do you see this industry, and let's say institutional crypto, uh, in one year versus 10 years? Well... I'd expect after in a 10 year period of time, most of the consolidation that will occur will have occurred. So will digital assets look too different than other traditional asset classes now? I'm not so sure. Um, in one year though, we're, we're still in the midst of that, you know, tremendous consolidation period. I mean, we're still at a split place where um, we're, we're, we're looking for great prime brokers in the space, great data service providers, um, all sorts of uh, picks and shovels that exist in the traditional asset world that don't quite yet exist here. And so as those picks and shovels get added and as that regulatory framework that we discussed earlier irons out, um, you'll just see the continued institutionalization of the space, the continued maturation of the space, and then the money that flows behind that. Do you think with the, if the like with the focus on consolidation among the picks and shovels, the infrastructure, do you think that'll lead to a consolidation among protocols and assets or a proliferation? That's a great question. And if I could answer that question, I might have a new strategy <laughs> uh, to run right now. Um, but I mean, look, that's part of the excitement of this space too, right? Is that there is so much space for it to develop. There are so many avenues for it to move. And so what we view at XM as a huge strength is remaining nimble uh, to those opportunity sets, right? If our team is nimble, if our technology is nimble, back to the man and machine, um, then we can move where we need to move, how we need to move. And that's partially what's fueling um, some of our thinking around DeFi right now. If there was one thing you could change about the industry, what would you change? Yeah, I, I hit on it a bit earlier, and I, I, I would say, you know, it's this, you know, certain perspective of some people in the industry of looking at this as a get-rich-quick uh, type uh, type activity. Um, you know, somewhat somewhat alongside that is some, some 
what I might consider some general non-serious behavior in this space, such as, um, you know, the pumping of certain nonsense coins. I mean, that makes the space look a little silly. That makes regulators uh, uh, crane their necks. Um, and it reflects not always in the most positive light on individuals um, such as yourself, Tyler, and the Copper Group, and, and myself and XM, um, who, who, who are out here doing things the right way. Is there a piece of technology in your own life that you couldn't live without? I mean, that one's very easy for me. It's my cell phone. I'm locked to my cell phone all day, every day. It's basically my modern-day sword, Tyler. <laughs> okay, what does your weekend look like if you get time off? And obviously, today's not that day, but normal weekends. No, but, you know, this is time off. This is extraordinarily pleasant. Um, and what's really important to me on weekends is in between the spits and spurts of work that I still have to do, because again, this is 24 seven, 365, um, is really mental and soulful regeneration to a degree. Um, if I'm, if, if, if I don't have time to rest and if I don't have time to bring my mind back, the relentlessness of, of, of where we're at will, will grind you down and put you in a place where you're not a happy person. So how do I both be successful in this space um, and be a happy person while doing it? And those are the questions I ask myself. And it comes back to that regenerative weekend. So on the weekends, I like to exercise a lot. I like to read. I like to sleep. I like to eat good food. I like to get to bed early. And then I like to hit it hard and fast Monday and see how fast we can run. Are you a film buff at all? And if you are, do you have any movies that you could watch over and over again and never get tired of? I wouldn't necessarily call myself a film buff. Uh, however... Certainly a contemporary movie I can watch again and again is No Country for Old Men. Uh, Good one. For me, that movie blends a certain simplicity and sophistication in a way that is immeasurably interesting. And every time I watch it, there's something new. It's got a touch of darkness in it too. <laughs> Just a touch. <laughs> okay. Um, do you have any catchphrases or mottos that you live by? Yeah, so I'm a big Philadelphia Eagles fan, and after the Eagles won the Super Bowl, uh, uh, there was a there was a speech that was given by uh, by the center at the time, and he had a line that I'll never forget, which is "Hungry dogs run faster," mm. and I think about that all day, every day, and I think about that as being one of the advantages we offer here at X Monetai, right? Hungry dogs run faster. This is a young man's game to a degree. This is a market that is live all the time. Um, and if you're not hungry, it will eat you. I like that. Who should we all follow on Twitter? No one. I don't believe, uh, I don't believe in expressing oneself in 280 characters or less. Fair. What was the last thing that surprised you? Probably the last thing that surprised me, uh, was on my subway ride down here was, um, you know, just a random... New York City person coming up and screaming in my face. That was rather surprising as I was getting my notes together. But yeah, I mean, that's an everyday occurrence here. And it's kind of why I love to live here. Okay. Um, who would you recommend as the next guest on our show? Who should we talk to? I think a great person to talk to um, could be uh, could be Kyle Downey. Um, Kyle Downey is a gentleman uh, who has a very traditional uh, 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 background in technology building and building of data sets. Um, when I mentioned to you that there's going to be rapid consolidation of uh, data server providers, 
um, and, and, and other type digital assets in this space, I firmly believe that, that Kyle will be at the lead of that development. Last question. If you somehow managed to meet Satoshi, but you only got to ask him one question or her, uh, what would that question be? I'd ask Satoshi nothing about digital assets, and I'd ask him uh, what he does to rest his uh, big brain, um, and just generally how he enjoys life outside of the digital asset space. That's a great question. Joe, thanks very much for coming in. It's been great talking to you. An absolute pleasure, Tyler, anytime. To our listeners, if you haven't already seen Joe's show and tell video, please go to our YouTube page, or you can find it on Twitter at CopperHQ, but don't tell Joe. Uh, or you can find it on our website, copper.co forward slash insights. There you can also sign up for our newsletter, which includes links to all the week's top stories, as well as any updates from the wider team here at Copper. If you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, please make sure to give us a good review in whichever streaming platform you're using. And if you want to get in touch, you can always reach me, Tyler, on Twitter at CryptoTSK, or you can email me directly, tyler.kenyon at copper.co. If you'd like to be a guest on our show, or if you know someone who should be, give us a shout. We're here to talk all things institutional crypto. And as ever, this show is only made possible because of the technical and creative wizardry of Tally Spear, with support from Riley Mountfort, Eva Leela, and Kate Light. Thanks very much. Stay safe.